for a second there, I thought, oh, he's upstairs, but that would have been the, well, you probably are upstairs, yeah, but it would have yeah. been the old house that I was thinking of. I never think of the old house. <laughs> what a fucking good, train good. wreck that place was. <laughs> oh, yeah, but you didn't know that until you got out and could see the carnage. So, uh, you know what? Yes. Um much like relationships, much like jobs, home ownership does do that to you, where it's not until you get into the next place that you go, oh, things didn't have to be that way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent. And for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this. And you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. I, I, I don't I don't think about the old house too much, except every time it rains here and I don't worry that like a half an hour of rain is going to flood my basement catastrophically, I go, oh, wait, that's right. I live in a house house. <laughs> and you also have water pressure now right oh yeah 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 the fact that now i i still think about it occasionally that i go to like do laundry and it's shower time for the kids but i don't have to worry about it and i go oh that's right i live in a real house now <laughs> you don't think oh geez we're going through so much more water now that we can actually use it <laughs> we go through actually do we go through more water i don't know the answer to that my so i Maybe I should be better connected to things like that as far as the operation of the house goes, but my wife handles the actual, like, paying of the bills. Not that I'm not capable of doing that. I mean, I manage a $771,000 annual budget at my job. I could pay the bills here, no problem. She just has traditionally done that, so I don't know. I don't know if we pay more for water these days than we used to. I, I would imagine it's probably better that she does it because whatever came across you'd be like oh this is peanuts oh yeah my um, scale is way off that's for sure <laughs> uh our i don't know how it is for y'all because we never we always rented when we were in chicago so we were never paying those bills separately but here our electric and water are combined um that we get it does you know um it uh itemizes everything for us but it also is like this is how many units of water you've used and i don't know what a unit of water is because i don't i don't use it in units sure sure <laughs> i'm not a physicist but i don't think i want my electrical and my water combined <laughs> <laughs> comes in the same pipe the, the electrical pipe is the same as the water pipe <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen welcome back to in the weeds with ben randall i am ben randall and I'm Stephen Cadwell. And Steve, we haven't done this in a while, where we started the episode of a show which is apparently about food and restaurants and cooking and chefs and stuff like that, talking about houses. <laughs> yeah, it has been a while. Yeah. But it's been kind of nice. We've been here for a, over a year. We're actually building a pergola today, I guess, which is... Um, oh, okay. I shouldn't be quite so dismissive about it. It was nominally my idea originally. I just sort of tossed it out there like, oh, it would be kind of cool to have, like, not a patio... Not like a completely covered outdoor space, but just like a structure, a four-post structure that had that lattice top on it that possibly we could grow stuff over, like green beans or flowers or whatever, in the summer to provide some shade. But that would be like a visual gathering space in the backyard. Because right now the backyard's real cash, and most of it 
space-wise is taken up by my daughter's trampoline, which is not much of a gathering space unless you're an 11-year-old <laughs> with two other people on it. And so I just thought it would be cool to have something like that, and that idea has taken on a life of its own, and now I get to dig four three-foot-deep holes in the backyard today with a post-holer. I guess that's going to be fun. For some <laughs> for some type of person, that would be a fun thing, but... Uh, yeah, we haven't really talked about house stuff because up until today, we haven't really had to do much to this house, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, my understanding is that the space under a pergola is purgatory. Possibly, yeah. Boy, that's a good connection. I hadn't thought about that. Because it's not a gazebo. A gazebo has a floor and a a full roof that like protects you from rain. A pergola yeah. is like that, except made out of a colander with no ground, no no like floor. Yeah. But I think you're right. I mean, it would be it'll be good for any climbing vines or anything. Yeah, yeah. My wife has two um, potted rose bushes that she's planning on putting into like wine barrels or something at two of the corners and having them climb, which will be very pretty, I suppose, in like five years. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know from roses. Sorry, I'm not a rose guy. I guess. <laughs> Oh, so you noticed that I'm in the upstairs, though. My son is playing Minecraft this morning, which is the basement uh-huh. area where I normally record. That's where the television is as well. It's another beautiful thing about this house is that our living area, or in what in Chicago is called the French Room, because apparently we like to celebrate people who had speech impediments back in the 60s, uh, has no television in it. There's no good spot for a TV and that kind of stuff. So we put that in the basement, which, again, in this house does not flood because the previous house was garbage and set our standards very low. But so he's <laughs> using that room to play Minecraft and hang out with his friends on Messenger Kids. And so I have transported myself up to this room. My son, I always forget, he's got the nicest room in the house. Like, as far as just, like, do I want to hang out here? Yeah, it's south-facing. There's, like, really nice light. It's this wood paneling in here. There's this amazing mural of like the rocky mountains or something that was painted in place on the wall which is really dumb and gorgeous and i love it like i know now like sure he's 14 and he's almost 15 i know why we don't see him very often but also like he must just love hanging out up here because it's a great fucking room (laughs) it'll be interesting to see what the sound quality is like because i it is it is all really hard surfaces in here but i don't know we'll see yeah we've never worried about it before (laughs) yeah that that part's true we're a real uh I almost said hacky sack operation. That's not, I think Cracker Jack. Cracker Jack operation is what I should have said. Yeah. Yeah. Don't think you meant people, foot, ba- foot bag. Yeah. People don't eat Cracker Jack really anymore. So maybe, maybe the hacky sack operation generation is here. I don't know. <laughs> generation hacky sack. <laughs> Man. Um, how's it going, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Good. I, um, man, I had a week. I don't want it to be all about me, but uh, I had a week this past yeah. week. Should we just jump into that? Because I also have two articles I want to talk about as well. Yeah, let's do it. Let's feet first all right. jump in. So, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you uh, for whom this is your first episode, welcome. Uh, my name is Ben. I run the food service operation for a uh, small private school here in Chicago. And again, before you make lunch lady jokes... Understand it's not going to bother me because this is the greatest job I think I've ever had. The, the It's it's entirely down to the company I work for. The level of free freedom of creativity I have is unparalleled. We have to choose our recipes from a database that my company operates for, like, allergen and nutrition purposes. But there's 35,000 recipes. I don't know that many recipes off the top of my head. 
I've never felt like, oh, I can't do this thing. And, uh, well, oh, that's a lie. That has happened. And so I just submit a new recipe and Home Office goes, okay. And then I get to use that one and it's got my name on it. So anybody else who wants to use it has to be like, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> so greatest job ever. Uh, I work Monday to Friday, six in the morning until two in the afternoon. Fridays, it's actually three, but that's a separate thing that has to do with the particulars of my job. We're currently hiring, which we should talk about in a minute here, Steve. But uh, one of the things that happened this week is the owners of my company came to visit. Any of you out there in the industry who have worked in a stratified, like, managerial sort of uh, an organization, right? So we're talking about a place that's got multiple locations, or it's a hotel, or it's a chain restaurant kind of thing. You know how disruptive it can be when the district manager shows up. When the DM shows up, usually somebody asks getting fired, right? That's not the case with my company. My company, the DM, uh, can only have 10 locations because they have to be able to visit every location twice a month. And it's always a very friendly visit. It's just a, hey, how you doing? Do you need anything from me? Whatever. I've never worked in a situation where the district manager was actually helpful and not just some piece of shit. <laughs> so this is great. I've had six DMs in the last uh, seven and a half years. And the one that I've had for the last three or four years here has been the greatest boss I think I've ever had in my life. The owners, obviously, are a different story. So one of the two owners came to my location when I had been there like two weeks. So this is in the spring of 2016. And I've seen them at conferences, but they've never seen my location since then, right? And the other owner has never seen it at all. So they showed up on Tuesday, and they did what they do. They're all smiles and handshakes. They just want to see the property they want. They had an hour-long meeting with the head of the school, the COO, the director of operations and somebody else i forget who the fourth person was hour long that's a long ass meeting right for a meet and greet they came back to me they hung out with us during lunch for about two hours and then they peaced out so they were really only with us for like three three and a half hours um occasional you know course correction kind of suggestion here and there they asked some questions because while we have a standard that we operate from in my company every location is different and we try not to be that company that's like an aramark or a compass or sodexo where we're like clang and we just stamp ourselves on top of the client right. we we customize right so a lot of times the questions are not leading you to be wrong about something they simply want to know why it is you do a thing a certain way i had a notebook on me my boss had a notebook on him both of the owners had notebooks too, and I made them take their notebooks out twice because I made either I either had questions or I made suggestions that pretty soon here I'll see coming back to me as a here's a new idea that we're gonna try out, but it won't have my name on it, which is fine, but I'll recognize them when they happen. <laughs> so when you can get the owners of the company to take notes about your ideas, you're doing okay, right? Uh, traditionally, as uh, happens with a visit like this, after they left, my boss sent me an email with this laundry list of shit we need to change. And it's all super minor stuff, and it's not a big deal, but it freaked my staff out a little bit. And I was like, look, they didn't come in and say, why is this kitchen filthy? They came in and said, why do you put this particular thing here? We want it here. It's that kind of stuff. They have to feel like they are involved, right? Like they still have their name and face and standards on what we do. So again some of the stuff i was able to change the next day like it's for serious not a big deal so we got a big old fucking stamp of approval on tuesday which was awesome awesome good yeah I, I, no complaints there good good yeah i uh donors like to feel useful yeah yeah <laughs> and i i don't know how much longer they're going to be the owners they are Ooh. do i guess at their ages 
No. <laughs> They're old enough that retirement is looming. How about that? Okay, it's not sure. like, because we're recording on Saturday, October 7th, it's not like they need to retire this calendar year, but they're getting there, right? And they're definitely not infirm. These are fit people. And, and you know, they, they're in command of all their faculties and everything. So, fine. Uh, but it's on the horizon. And so I feel like there is also this sense in the company of them not being overbearing. They're not micromanagers, right? We have lots and lots of support in place, but it's not oppressive, right? As long as you're doing your job, right? The people who complain about the DM structure and the owners and the regional managers and all that, they're the ones who must not be doing their jobs because it's like, just do your job, execute the expectations, and you're fine. So if you're complaining about the people who are there to, you know, have the expectations, then you must not be doing it right, <laughs> you know? Uh, but it feels like there's a little bit more importance placed on we do things this way. And it's coming out of COVID. And it's also, I think they want to leave a legacy, which is great. I don't mind that at all. I get to be part of that legacy. You know. Yeah. Um, question not to not to muddle things too much. Yeah. Question is, were you hiring before or after their visit? And did their visit have anything to do with it? All right. So there is a joke in my kitchen that every time my boss visits, somebody quits or gets fired. <laughs> And that has continued to be a true thing, right? So the last three people we've lost have been either on a day that my boss was in town or the next day. <laughs> so three weeks ago, I don't know how much we talked about this on the show or not. Three weeks ago, maybe going on a month ago, I began to have difficulties with an employee that we went out of our way to bring back. This person had left last spring under the wrong circumstances and as much as i still sort of grapple with this notion of giving two weeks notice to an employer as a courtesy because if an employer is going to fire you they're not giving you any notice at all right that power balance bothers me so i grapple with that but it is still the industry standard at least in restaurants right if you don't give two weeks notice you are considered unrehirable and while we always say home office we are a corporation and the corporate structure there is such that it just gets noted on your file. You can apply later on and home office is going to be like, fuck you, right? You cannot apply. You cannot be hired here. We do that to protect ourselves, obviously. Somebody who's going to quit without giving two weeks notice. Yeah, like that's a question you ask in an interview. Because if somebody is going to quit without giving two weeks notice to their previous employer, they're going to do it to you, right? Like you don't expect loyalty out of the person who cheated on their significant other to be with you. It's that sort of thing. So this person left, but it was not professional. It was entirely personal. And this person, I should give this person a name. Let's say, what's a good, normal-ass name? Let's say Nancy. Nancy. Which is not this person's name, but it's just going to be easier than me saying this person over and over again. So Nancy had to leave us last year because of, like, unmanageable stuff in Nancy's life, right? Had nothing to do with work. And Nancy was in an unsafe, like physically unsafe place. And so she could not leave her kids and come to work and whatever. But to home office, it was, nope, Nancy left without giving notice, right? So we went out of our way to bring Nancy back this year. And I had to write a letter of intent. And I had to tell home office, like, I think that this, like, Nancy assured me that she had her shit worked out. Turned out that was not the case. So about a month ago, I had a, three weeks ago, I had a conversation with Nancy about like, I can't have you on your cell phone all day. 
I can't have you just disappearing off of your station to be on your cell phone. I can't have the client telling me, why can't I get food off of this station? Where's your employee? Why did I look around the corner and see that Nancy was on her phone? Right, Stuff like that. Also, Nancy was late a lot. Also, Nancy was asking to leave early a lot. We had our conversation. She was angry. She tried to make it about her kids. She tried to make it about her life. And I said, this is what you said last time. Are you in the process of quitting? And she said, no. And I said, okay. And what my main concern was is that it was turning into a morale issue with the other five cooks. And I'm not losing five good cooks to baby one bad cook, right? And I've learned my lesson too many times about that. Like, I don't let that shit ride. So, we had a conversation. And then things did not improve, so then there was a write-up. And after that, Nancy was predictably on time, doing her job, grumpy, not chatting with the staff, withdrawn, all that kind of stuff. Didn't want to be there. Clearly didn't want to be there. Nancy called off one day about 10 minutes before her shift saying, uh, I'm sick. And I said, okay, well, our standard is that you have to call off at least a half an hour in advance. This is in the handbook. You've seen this written down. If you just discovered you're sick 10 minutes before your shift, there's no way you could have been here in time anyway. So I texted her that. Suddenly she was like, I'm on my way. Did that whole shift just fine. She did not appear sick at all. She showed up late the next day, which was a Friday. Left, asked to leave early. Fine. Saturday night at like 11... Uh, told me that she did not, she texted me and told me that she did not have uh, coverage for watching her daughter on Monday and she would not be attending her shift on Monday. And I said, okay, fine. Because that's that's a, a, an appropriate call off. That's fine. I feel like two days is enough time to get babysitting, but that's just me. Uh, Tuesday, and then she said she would come in Tuesday. About 11 o'clock Monday night, she texted me again, and it was just a screenshot of someone saying that they could not watch her daughter. There was no context whatsoever. So I texted her back 4.30 in the morning and said, does this mean you're not going to be here today? She didn't text me back until 10.30, and as we all know, uh, Nancy had been on her phone constantly at the job, so clearly she got the message. And uh, I reported all of this to home office. I reported it to my boss, and of course, Tuesday was the day that we were having our big visit, and my boss said, does Nancy know that the owners of the fucking company are going to be here today? And I said, yep. And he goes, you need to fire her because this is stress you don't need to be carrying. And I said, am I allowed to? Like, this is, there's only been one write-up. We're definitely a three-strike company. It takes a lot to get fired out of this company. And he was like, I'll authorize it. Because he apparently was seeing the stress I was carrying, right? So I did. Texted her. And because that's the, we, we always, we try not to fire people in person because it presents a potential drama and safety challenge to the client. We don't want to do that on the client's For sure, property. Yeah. Yep. So I texted her that her behavior, her lateness, her uh, asking for days off at the last minute, her cell phone usage, which had come back and after we had talked, all of that led to us terminating her employment. And to date, so now it's been uh five days she has not texted back <laughs> so she's aware she's fired it did not seem like this was the first time this has happened to her uh but so yeah i had to do that while the owners were like in the building here's me frantically texting like fuck you you're fired <laughs> right but like all office speak so tuesday was the day that um they were there yeah. and she had uh nancy had also called off right so now i am no dummy Three weeks ago when I had my, because it was like three and a half weeks ago we talked, and then three weeks ago I actually wrote her up, I put her job ad back up online, because I'm no dummy, and I've seen how this goes. And there's a couple of different breeds of cook, and I hate to say that you can kind of smell them, but this one in particular, 
there's a kind of cook that is that always feels a little bit better than the job and has no loyalty to the employer at all which again employers will oversell this notion of loyalty right because ladies and gentlemen sorry to tell you this especially if you're in a management position none of your employees work for you your employees work for money you just happen to be the one who has the money (laughs) right however the good ones work for the work right like i wouldn't cook for a living if i didn't love cooking it's what i do it's part of me it's part of my identity yes if i wasn't getting paid to do it i wouldn't do it but the work is important to me there's a kind of cook who because this is not the only thing that i know how to do i could do other things if i wanted to i just don't love anything as much as i love cooking there's a kind of cook who it's the only thing they know how to do and they sort of resent it and they have no loyalty whatsoever to a the work or be the employer all they want is the money and these are the ones that will Find out that there's a job at 7-Eleven down the street from their house and take that instead and still feel like they're in the service industry, still feel like they're a cook, and they'll just piece right out. And they always feel better than the job. This Nancy was definitely one of them. And she will remain that. And I've, again, I keep learning these little lessons. However, one thing that has happened is my staff that I have, my core staff, bonded together so tightly at the end of last year when we were understaffed because of, again, this exact same person. When Nancy was fired, my staff has been happier since then. I have a picture of two of my staff members dancing together from yesterday because a song came on. One of my staff members is from Mexico and another one is from uh, her heritage traces back to like the Pueblo people in in, uh, Arizona. And a song came on and my native american employee asked my mexican employee how to dance to it and so they danced together for a minute and i was just like this this is what i want they're not here just to make money they're not here just to make food they're here because they want to be here that's what i want out of everybody and so we've we haven't missed a beat like i was under budget again last week because nancy was fucking gone i didn't have to pay or anything and uh everybody was fine so that's you take care of the ones who take care of you and babying someone along who is not taking care of you or everybody else will backfire on you in a hurry. Yeah. Um, now, one of the things we've talked about, well, uh, so I have two questions. One of them is obviously there were no indications of this um, prior to, or you wouldn't have brought her back on like in, right. when she was with you before. Yeah. Um. How long was she with you before? She worked for us for five months last year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but our school year is only nine months, you know? So more than half. Yeah, and the thing is, is that, like, the behavior was not new. It was just way worse. And she had, I don't even, I don't know if things had changed back or if she lied to me when we were talking over the summer, but her personal situation had not improved. And that's what it was. Like, do I want to be, as a human being, sensitive and forgiving of the fact that really she was trying to take care of her kids? Yes, I do want to do that. However, as an employer, you got to handle your outside shit outside of work, right? You don't see me on my phone all day. You don't see any of my other employees on their phone all day. And yeah, like she was telling me that her mom was unreliable and that her boyfriend was unreliable and all this. And I'm like, yeah, but to me, you're unreliable. This is not... If you can't handle this stuff, we work like an eight-hour shift. You have 16 other hours every single day plus Friday and Saturday or Saturday and Sunday to get this shit handled. But you have to handle it 
during your shift at work? Like, nah, that that's that's just bad life management. And I, I'm not responsible for that part. And that's a part I need to get over because I want to help people out. I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I want people to be happy. I feel like it's a personal failing of mine if my employees are not happy. And that's dumb and I need to get over that. But I also really need to stop overextending myself. Yeah. Well, I mean, happy employees are better employees. That's also true. But like, I can only <laughs> control the shit on the inside of the job. Right. right. Absolutely. So like if right. one of my employees says to me, hey, we need black beans for this soup tomorrow. Can you order them? And I'm like, sure. And I don't do it. That's the kind of stuff that I should feel bad about. And I do. Like sometimes I forget stuff. Like I'm a human being. But yeah. if somebody's like, oh, I'm having all these problems outside of the job. If I can't help them and it's affecting their job, that's a different story. Yeah. No- well, it's also. Oh, go ahead. I was just about to say, nobody knows. Like if stuff happens out in my life outside of the job, I don't bring that in. And I've, again, that's another thing that I've struggled with is like, there's the leave it at the door mentality, which restaurant owners will tell you means don't bring your personal stuff in here. But what I will tell you is don't take your professional stuff home. Like that door goes both ways, right? Do I a hundred percent believe in it? No. Like I love the fact that my staff like to help each other out with personal stuff. So leave it at the door. Maybe it's a screen door. Maybe you can kind of see through that door, (laughs) you know? Yeah. But... If what you're bringing into work affects your work, that's different. Yeah. Well, um, and it, what would uh, it would also be different if they went from A plus work to A minus work, and that was the only difference. But when it affects the entire crew, yeah. that's that's a bigger deal. Well, so a hundred percent because everybody sees that, and you're lowering the common denominator if everybody sees like, well, this person who we always have to help out anyway, and who clearly does less work than us, is getting special treatment. Why the fuck am I trying to do really good work all the time? And you cannot have your staff feeling that. What you need to do is when you see people doing A plus work, you reward it if you can in big ways, right? Like if you can promote people, if you can give them more money, if you can give them cooler stuff to do or whatever right or really small ways like after no no one person did anything like way out of the ordinary on tuesday when the owners were in nobody like wowed them any more than just doing their jobs really well wowed the owners right i brought in donuts and coffee and smoothies on wednesday to just be like you know what you guys all the people who work for me are women you know what y'all you made me look good i make the boss look good And the owners think we make the company look good. This is the best I could do on short notice. I brought in donuts and smoothies and coffee. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I understand that this is just like confetti, but it's tasty ass confetti. Here you go. You know, and um, for a given value of everyone appreciated it, at least the the notion, you know, it's not like I was like, hey, everybody, here's a thousand dollars. Wouldn't be able to do that anyway. But like, again, nobody went. I guess maybe some people did. One of my employees, the one of the owners of the company, was getting ready to leave and went, oh, wait, 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 and went back out and got a hug from one of my employees. And I was like, you met her like an hour ago. <laughs> but I have an employee who's a big hugger, so that's fine. There was one other thing I wanted to say about that, and it was, oh. So including this person who I just had to fire, Nancy, every one of my staff members is a return. I didn't hire anybody brand new this year, right? And according to my boss... The owners not only love that, but it is exceedingly rare in my company, which I get. We lose people over the summer pretty much every year. And the fact that they happen to be here at a time when everybody who was working for me, who was on payroll, was 
an employee who was coming back from the previous year. Apparently that speaks really well to me. And I'm trying to be kind of humble about it. But at the same time, I'm like, there's a lot of factors there, right? Like the location, the job, the hours, all of these things factor into that. But I guess I can take some of that credit, right? I am drawing people back, which is great. Well, and you've you've gone to bat for him too, which yeah. I think is a big, uh, big thing. Because when you see uh, an employer or your boss do that, you realize you're valued, whether or not that translates into any yeah. tangible thing or not, which is which is a big deal. Um, okay, second. Uh, well, just to throw this out there, it's not necessarily completely um, uh, connected, but uh, just in terms of. Um, affecting work i think it's really uh really dependent on the the job as well i was just going to say that i know a guy when i was down in florida who was going through like maybe a divorce or something like that was working through all his demons on stage every night when we were doing improv um it and and had this sort of animosity with the audience but it was fine because that was then his like stage persona for um for that (laughs) and it was one of those things that occasionally was frustrating for some of the rest of us um, but, but didn't really like, wasn't detrimental to the quality of the show. Sure. Really? Sure. Um, so it was one of those things like, who am I to say he can't come? I mean, he's, he's probably a better in a much better place now because he was able to work through it on stage than, you know, as opposed to like holding up a Seven Eleven or something, <laughs> um, right. you know, whatever energy that, or wherever that energy would have uh, found an outlet. So, um, in, in that instance, this, you know, the, the improv stage ended up being a good place for him to work through that. Not necessarily great for if he would have been in your in your uh, shop yelling at kids yeah. as they're, you know, that's that's a much bigger deal. Um, so this is the second half of my question then, um, now that the non sequitur is kind of out of the way. <laughs> um, this, you, everyone was on board with bringing Nancy back. Correct. You had buy-in from, from the rest of your staff. Yeah. How how has firing because this is the first time really that's happened right? I know I know you've been committed to that and committed to getting their input yeah. in hiring, but that seems like a, um, a something you landed on at, as the revolving door was spinning during the pandemic or whatever. Yeah, and you're like, you know what, this crew is really good. I don't want to lose any of them. I need to get their their input. So um, unless I missed one, this is the first dismissal you've had after getting that buy in. Right. Um, right. What is that like versus other other dismissals? Um, is it any different um, in terms of the, uh, the temperature in the shop or anything like that? So this is part me and part my company. Right. And it's again, it's a lot of it is the support that we get from above and the policies and procedures we have and just the ethos of the company, which, again, ladies and gentlemen, if you are. In the industry, let's say you're working at a restaurant, a hotel, any of that kind of stuff, and you're looming burnout, like you can see it coming, boy, you could do way worse than to work for my company. We are nationwide. We have 350 locations. Trust me, we are fucking constantly hiring. Feel free to get a hold of us, uh, and I will give you all the details that you want. I'm just hesitant to blast them here because while I have nothing good to say about them, I have nothing but good things to say about them. Wow. (laughs) Fuck these guys. No. Uh, I don't don't want to cross those streams too much. You know how that goes in a Ghostbuster sense. So best way to get a hold of us is intheweedswbr at gmail.com. Happy to be as overt. Like, I can give you links depending on where you live. We are likely hiring near you. My Instagram is Chef Ben Randall. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. And Steve runs a website for us. 
that will be updated later today in the weeds wbr.com nice uh but so to answer your question it's part of it's partly me and where i am now i'm 45 years old i've been doing this since i was 14 and i have worked for a broad spectrum of very bad bosses right because nobody teaches you how to be a boss in my industry my company and I don't know if it started with working for this company or if I was headed this direction anyway. My company wants to give our clients, our students, anybody who eats in our dining halls, the parents, we want to give everybody as much information as we can all the time, right? Our allergen filter, like you can bring up our, our website, you can bring up a menu, and there are drop-down filters to be like, I can't have sesame. Highlight everything that's dangerous for me on your menu, and it'll all show up, right? We want to give as much information as we possibly can. We don't quite give out recipes, but you can find a list of ingredients for each and every single thing we make, right? I have onboarded that into myself so much that I've included that with my staff. Because the trainings we do, our trainings are also like manager level trainings that everybody does. Everybody does. Up to and including like financial kind of stuff. Not with any location specific data, but just like how we manage our money. And, and, and when we tell our staff that, we find that we manage our money better. If we tell them like, here's how much we spend on food. And we make our staff involved in that. We find that we spend less money on food because our staff is finding really good creative ways to reuse the food, to be better about waste, things like that. So in my restaurant career, when somebody would get fired, you would find out about it after your next couple of days off. And it would just be like, oh, yeah, Gary's gone. And you would never know why. You would never know what happened and that sort of thing. Over donuts, which, again, was a pittance. You know that I was giving my staff donuts and and smoothies, but they were all they were all some form of delighted to have them. Um, over that, I said I fired Nancy yesterday. I'm not gonna say the company did it. I did it. I'm taking that on. I fired her because of the cell phone use that did not stop. I'm fire. I fired her because she was unreliable. Everybody else was having to take on responsibilities from her. I feel like she was bringing everybody down. I know she was gossiping about not only me, but the company behind my back. I don't need details. I've heard some rumblings. I don't really care. But I want everybody to know things are going to be a little bit rough while she's you know, now that she's gone. But I hope you all understand that the difficulties you were having with her, I saw those as well. I just had to move at a pace that was appropriate with how our company does stuff. And then I said, do you have any questions? Does anybody have anything to say? And my hugger <laughs> said, really glad you didn't let this go on that much longer. And I said, that's exactly it. Like, there is a certain amount of time. The first time you screw up, I'm not just going to fire you because that's fucked. But there is a certain amount of time that has to go by where these processes have to be allowed to, to, to happen. Because the processes are built in a way where if an employee screws up, we want them to recognize it, be held accountable for it change and be better and not do that mistake again that's what right. we want that's the ideal now if that process doesn't happen then something else has to happen that person needs to be moved into another job they need to uh take a leave of absence and figure out their personal stuff they need to be fired or they need to quit like all any of those things are options we've had people who were great employees who were in the wrong job where they started off as a cashier at a college and then they moved to breakfast cook and that was not good for them and the worst thing you can do is lose an employee who was so good at what they did that they wanted to move to another job within the company. You don't want to lose that person. So they figured out a way to get them back. This is at a college in Pittsburgh. Get them, get them into a job where they still continue to excel without becoming a bad employee, right? That's what we want. When we have people in-house, we want to keep them in-house. But sometimes you can't. And that process takes a while. 
Yeah. And I wanted everybody to understand that I wasn't ignoring the concerns that had been brought to me, but that there was a time period where the process just has to happen. And everybody understood that. And I also think that that's heartening to them. Because I don't think any of them thought they were just going to get randomly fired by me because that's just not how I present myself. But it's good <laughs> to hear it, you know. It's good to hear your boss go, and if I ever have to fire you, it's not going to be a surprise. We It will be a thing we talked about and you didn't fix it. And we talked about it again and you didn't fix it. And then you got yeah. fired. It's not like you're going to come in on a Wednesday and I'm going to be like, I don't like your hair, you're fired. You know, like... Things like that yeah. should never be surprises. And I never saw that when I was a kid. When I was coming up in the industry, people would get fired for shit and I'd be like, that guy did what? And no, like we would never know. So I, yeah. I want everybody to have as much information as possible. Yeah, unless you saw them stick their hand through the plastic bucket as they're dumping hot oil <laughs> into the dumpster. Right. right. You, you don't know. Um, well, and it also sounds like this is one of those situations where it, it isn't that she was incapable of doing the job. But that this job with just current life situation is not a good fit for yeah. Nancy. Nancy needs to find a job where she has the ability to check her phone and, and do things that, you know, if, if that's necessary for her right now in her life, then she needs to find a job where she can do that. Yeah, uh, Not customer facing would be a perfect job for her. When I was talking to my lead cook about it, my lead cook just went, she's kind of a born housekeeper. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, using the housekeepers at hotels, like if they're on their phone, who's going to know, right? As long as they're getting their job done. And I could see that. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, well, that, that tracks. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to be a job like that where it's like, yep, you're, you're, so it's like the, you need to do X, Y, and Z and you need to do it by this yeah. time. Yeah. And so long as that gets done, then, you know, we're hands off and nobody cares. Right. Uh, yeah. That kind of situation. And I've said it in the past because I, it's a little bit how I write job ads and it's a little bit how I do phone interviews, but I do try to stress to folks, this job is simple. That doesn't mean easy. And there's two kinds of people that apply for the job for any of the jobs in this, um, particular location, people who get it, people who understand that it is still a hands-on full-time cooking position from scratch. We operate like a restaurant. There are a bajillion moving parts. However, we work six to two Mondays to Monday to Friday. We've got holidays off. We've got uh, summers off. Like there are an enormous number of benefits to it. But the people who have been in down and dirty, high volume restaurants look at a job like mine and it's possible to think, oh, it's just a cakewalk, right? So there's two kinds of people who apply. People who get it. People who want the hours and the pace and the tone because it supports their home life. And people who think it's going to be easy. Nothing about our job is easy, right? Is it is it hard? Is it like bone grindingly awful? No, of course not. Otherwise, I wouldn't still be there. It's been almost eight years. <laughs> but it is fairly simple, and that can trick people because there's a difference between simple and easy, right? The fact that what I'm hiring for is somebody to make about 50 wrapped sandwiches ahead of lunch so that we have those out for the kids who are kind of picky, right? It's like sun butter and jelly, whatever. Somebody to make our fancy spa waters that have like all fruit and shit in them. Somebody to bag up and, and count out our snacks for our rooms, right? Somebody to set up a hotline, serve lunch on that hotline, and then break it down and clean afterward and help out the rest of the crew with, like, doing dishes, taking garbage out, taking cardboard out, whatever. That can feel easy. And it's not easy, but it is very simple, right? It is yeah. still work. And we do get people who have not only applied but have hired in thinking that it's easy and then they get frustrated when it's not. 
And that's that's just a perception thing. It's like when you go to see The Last Jedi and you're like, sweet, I think this is going to be a great Star Wars movie. And not only is it not great, it's not a Star Wars movie, right? It's expectation. Your expectation can color your, your reality. Oh, absolutely. Um, now, a while ago, you kind of saw this coming, but were, I think, anticipating someone quitting versus uh, right. having to let them go. And you had a couple prospects in mind. Have you reached out? Is that uh, uncouth? Well, so I'm no dummy. And I've been through this. This is not my first rodeo. So when the owners were in, they actually had no way of knowing that we were understaffed. Because we have a server from the operation. Because we share the building with another operation. And that other operation is is separate but equal. You know, so like in a real racist sense, now that I've said that out loud. Um, we, we can share servers sometimes. If we have a big event... That's what they do is big events. And so we can borrow their servers and they get paid by that other operation and then we reimburse them and it's this whole thing. So one of these guys, Juan, is fucking amazing. And I've offered him a job like five times and he's always said no because <laughs> I can't afford him. But I had him in last week one day that Nancy couldn't work. And then when she called off for Monday, I asked him to come in Monday and Tuesday because I thought if she doesn't come in Tuesday, I still need somebody to serve on that hotline. And if she does come in, it couldn't hurt to have a backup guy to just help run shit around. Whatever. So I ended up being accidentally covered, but it wasn't an accident. Again, I'm no dummy. Now, you're absolutely right. Three and a half weeks ago, she and I talked. Three weeks ago, I wrote her up. And that day, I put her job ad back online. And I've interviewed so far three people. There's a, a bit of a... There's a bit of a trick where when people apply on Indeed, we still need them to apply on our website, which is like a... It's a hurdle. It's a hoop to jump through, and I hate it, but it is what it is. Like we need that information in our system. So I sent, I, I did two phone interviews, and I sent emails to both of those people saying, "Hey, please follow this link. I know you have to. It's a bummer to have to redo this application, but it's just what we need because it's the very beginning basis of our employee file, right?" One of them did that, and then uh, we scheduled an in-person interview, and she did not show up for that interview, so she's out. The other one never filled out the application. However, I've discovered they can fill out the application and not complete it, and it does not let me know. So I'm going to reach back out to her and find out if maybe she just missed something, right? Because our system will let you exit out of it without completing it. I got an application on Friday for somebody who, I hate to say it, way overqualified for the job. I reached back out to her. We did a phone interview on Friday. So all this happened in about six hours. And she's coming in on Monday to interview. Oh, great. If she shows up, right? Because now, yeah. like, we've talked about this in the past. We did a whole episode about hiring. People are juggling a lot of offers at once. I get it. I have done it. And that's fine. Have I ever called? So I, I don't think I've ever not shown up for an interview, but I haven't been to a job interview in eight years, right? So, like, things have changed a bit. But if I went to an interview... Would I ever call a job back and be like, I'm going with somebody else? I don't think so. That doesn't feel like it's my responsibility. So when employers get really grumpy about people not showing up for interviews or not calling them back after the interview, which went well, right? That's dumb. That's selfish and, and whiny because like they don't owe you anything. You're not paying them for the interview. This one on that I talked to yesterday, she's aggressive. She was like, I'll come in and do a stage. And I'm like, I think stages are really kind of insulting and exploitative. And she kind of chuckled. And I was like, I pay people to work. If you're going to come in and work, I would have to pay you. And there's no good mechanism for that. But I would love to have you come in and do an interview 
so that, and I told her this, I said, so that you can see the operation, so that you can see like what the commute would be. And so you can meet the staff. And she goes, meet the staff. And I was like, yeah, because that's the second answer to your question. How much do I involve my crew in this whole like buy-in thing? All of us talked about Nancy coming back. And while nobody said no, there were a couple of people who were hesitant, right, about it. One person had never met her because this one of my cooks was hired after Nancy left last year. Uh, but I did get a little bit of a gentle I told you so from one of my staff members who was not <laughs> completely convinced about Nancy coming back. So I told I, – this all happened after everybody left on Friday. But on Monday when this person comes into interview, right – uh, my staff will have a chance to weigh in. I- ideally, not like to their face, but here's yeah. <laughs> another thing, Steve, that I never really thought about from the employer side. Chicago's the biggest little town in the world. This is a good way to weed somebody out if they walk in and one of my cooks is like, fuck you, get out of here right now. Like, what if they know her? I don't know. So this is yeah. this is a good, because I don't know who this person is, but it's also funny to me, and it will always, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but application stuff will always be funny to me. I put the ad back out and I got the same about a dozen people who I guess just apply for everything all the time because I was like, I recognize a bunch of these names and I can almost tell you the like lack of experience they have that would make them suitable for this job. And I went through and I was like, yep, you worked in an Amazon warehouse in Augusta, Georgia. Like I, you have, why would you want to work here? So it was kind of funny to go through and weed those ones out again. (laughs) Um, I don't anything else about your week because I can transition a little bit. One more thing, which yeah. I told you about, but I haven't told anybody else about yet. So it's fall, and my lead cook in the middle of yesterday, she was like, "Oh, I was able to just schedule a COVID booster for this afternoon." So this was yesterday, and I was like, "No, you weren't. That takes like a long time." She goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a Walgreens near my house," and I was like. Cool. So I went online and I looked up my Walgreens. And so I got the COVID booster and the flu shot yesterday at about 630 at night. Uh, The doctor or nurse practitioner or whoever it was was pretty funny. She was at the end of her day and she was like just glazed. She was so tired. But um, COVID in my left shoulder and flu in my right. Usually I get both of them in the same shoulder. But I've got two days off before I have to go back to work. So whatever, except I have to dig a bunch of three foot deep holes this afternoon. Um, she was like, we've, we've not seen more reactions to this vaccine. However, we are trying to track it. So if I could do one in each shoulder so that if you have a reaction to one, we know which one it is, that would be great. And I was like, yeah, fuck it, whatever. And so I also bought myself two pints of Haagen-Dazs ice cream. They did not have Dulce de Leche, which is nature's perfect food, (laughs) but I got the caramel cone, which is close. And I got the chocolate peanut butter, which I've never had before. I know that I like chocolate and peanut butter. So that was cool. Um. And I uh, congratulated myself on Instagram by posting them and saying, I got two shots today and I was very brave. (laughs) So I got ice cream. (laughs) Because you know what? You get to an age, Steve, where like you buy new shoes and nobody asks you how fast you can run in them anymore. Right? Like that's the first thing you ask a little kid when they get new shoes. Be like, are you faster? Right? Uh, You go and get shots and nobody's like, you were so brave. We're going to go get ice cream. Nobody does that shit for you anymore. You have to do it for yourself. That's self-care. Yeah. That's about that's what being an adult is about is recognizing that when you get a shots you have been brave and you deserve to buy yourself some ice cream because no one's going to do I it. I almost you. put the pint of ice cream against my shoulder cuz the covid one started hurting immediately. The um flu one only kind of feels like I got like I bumped my shoulder on something. The covid one like hurts. But uh not so much that I'm worried I'm having a reaction it just hurts and then I was like I'm not going to use 
really good dulce de leche or uh, uh, Hagendaz ice cream as a cold pack. That's dumb. <laughs> yeah, Kayla and I went. Oh, was it a week ago? I a little over a week ago. I don't know. We went and got them. Um, here in town and uh yeah i got both of them in the same arm which i can't remember if i did that last time or not and i don't think it was that i didn't have a reaction yeah and i don't know if it was because i was still doing some housework stuff i'm trying to sand we pulled up all the floorboards to redo the floor in the uh, part of the house so i'm sanding all those now so we can put them back down and um you know all that jazz and uh so i don't know if it was that repetitive motion of the sanding and stuff but um the next day because we went early like 11 o'clock or something in the morning 10 30 or something is when we got them and then kayla was feeling it that day i didn't really feel it that much but the next day i kind of felt like i'd been hit by the body ache slash slug truck oh no and i was just like drained and uh, my kind of achy not real bad but just like ugh. Um, but just for that one day. Yeah, I mean, it, it worked out pretty well. So I came home. I ate pizza that I made, so it was good. Uh, my daughter now is way into chorizo. She's 11. We got tacos last Tuesday, <laughs> and she was looking at my taco. She was like, what's in that taco? And I said, chorizo. And she goes, what's that? And I said, what's well, a not terribly spicy Mexican pork sausage? And she was like, can I try it? She ate the whole fucking taco. And I was like, wait a minute. Where'd my taco go? So when we were buying pizza supplies uh, Thursday... I was like, do you want to make a chorizo pizza? She was like, what's that? And I was like, we just put chorizo on a pizza. We'll do mozzarella and cheddar. We'll put onions and cilantro on there. And she was all about it. So I made a a cheese pizza and I made a chorizo pizza. So I went and got these shots. I came home. I ate pizza. We watched Haunted Mansion. I ate ice cream. I took one half a dose of NyQuil, right? Like you get the two liquid gel things. I took one of those. I slept great. And I don't feel I don't feel any of the like flu symptoms. It's just like my left shoulder hurts way worse than my right shoulder. I'm kind of cold, but it got really fucking cold in Chicago all of a sudden. It's like yeah, 48 degrees yeah. outside. Uh, so I think it's that. Because it's still too early for us to turn the heat on. That feels weird. It's still like 67 yeah. degrees in the house. But I am wearing a hat and a big uh, RCMP sweater. and Yeah. Maybe that's reaction to the thing? I don't think so. <laughs> could be the Haganaz, who knows yeah okay one more thing and then we can get into what you want to talk about ladies and gentlemen if you're into peanut butter at all there's a company out of grand rapids michigan called cozy k-o-e-z-e best peanut butter in the world they have four varieties they have a their regular stuff right so they have their cozy brand which is crunchy and creamy they have an organic one that's creamy and an organic one that's crunchy difficult to find outside of michigan right retail you can go onto their website and you can just buy it, right? And there's a case discount. So if you get six or more, they're cheaper, right? Not by much, but enough. So I bought 12 jars of peanut butter the other day, which is a lot. I get it. But everybody in my house eats peanut butter a lot, right? And this, it's just like fucking peanuts and salt. Right? There's nothing in there. It's great. Best peanut butter in the world. I found out when you order that amount, it automatically thinks you're giving it as a gift because who would buy that much peanut butter just for themselves? Like a weirdo? And there was a free option for a gift note. And so I was like, hell yeah. So I wrote myself a gift note card thing to be included in the box. Because again, we're adults and nobody's going to be like, hey, buddy, good job buying 12 uh, bottles of <laughs> or jars of peanut butter. And so I did. And everybody in my house is looking at me like I was insane because I bought 12 jars of peanut butter and I put a little note in there for myself. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? There's no reason not to do shit like that, ladies and gentlemen. Celebrate your, you know, your successes. <laughs> would you do that at work 
Oh, if without question, I would do that at work. <laughs> if your broadliner is like, include a note. Oh, for... yeah. That'd be the best. <laughs> you know what? Uh, <laughs> Gordon Food Service and um, Cisco and all that, what you need to do is you need to hire singing telegrams as your drivers who oh, can yeah. Yeah, pr- give messages to your customers as they're delivering their uh, their shipment. Um. All right, peanut butter man. This is where <laughs> I was gonna go. Uh, I I thought maybe. Oh, I sent you the article, didn't I? What was the last thing I sent you? There, Signature yes. room. Yes, that maybe you'd have more people applying. You right. Oh. Go ahead and tell me about this article because this is wild. So I mean, especially in light of uh, well, we were just talking about. Um, sudden closures yeah so signature room which was the bar slash restaurant at the top of the hancock yep. closed suddenly very suddenly and this is like a well-established has been around uh i mean this one one guy um um but it's like this one of the guys was a bartender for 46 years yeah i mean this 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 place has been around for a long long time and no more So, from this article, under the Worker Adjustment and Retraining Notification Act, known as the WARN Act, employers with at least 75 full-time workers must provide notice 60 days before a single work site closes. The law also requires workers to be provided certain benefits for 60 days after their termination. Workers said they were notified of the closure at about 6 a.m. Thursday when the restaurant announced its closure. So, that's day of they received a paycheck the next day and are supposed to receive one more next week. Yeah. Now, um, th- I mentioned this because this is something that I just discovered uh, not too long ago. Um, this The WARN Act. Yeah. Um, there is – each state also has a website where this stuff is listed. Oh, no so kidding. If you, and so you can go – like I don't know if they have to tell their employees, but they do have to post it. They have to tell the state. Um, so you might, your job might be ending soon and the, the place where you'll find out is, uh, where, whatever the website is for your state that will list, um, where things are. Now I'm assuming the way the article's written that it wasn't posted there either. Right. Uh, but, uh, um, yeah. And they're, they're just, they're blaming pandemic more or less. Yeah. Was that your understanding? So the quote from the owners, Richard Roman and Nick Pickness. Quote, for over 30 years, we've had the privilege and honor of serving Chicagoans and visitors from all over the world. Unfortunately, after the closure of our city and restaurant due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we have been faced with severe economic hardship and the challenges have been greater than anticipated. That whole thing was written by a lawyer. No question. Yeah. Now, again, Um, I've said this before about closures. We're thinking Holman and Finch here. Yes. No owner of a restaurant especially not the signature room at the top of the hancock finds out at 5 45 in the morning that they need to close that day permanently and is only able to announce it at 6 a.m nobody in the world this has been in the works for a long long time not telling your staff is the there's only one reason to do that unless what you're trying to do is violate the warren act the only reason to not tell your staff is that you don't want them to quit before you do close that's it. That's the only thing. 
And so uh, that's what they have done. There's no question in my mind. That is what they have done. They intentionally did not tell their staff so that nobody would quit before they closed. And I mean, if you've been, if you've been, I, I can't imagine being a bartender for 50 years at the same place. For one thing, I, I've never been a bartender. So money must have been good. Yeah. Um, but to, I mean, if you've been at a place for that long doing, doing the same job, I mean, to, for it to be, I mean, that's gotta be devastating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of these people, sorry, I'm, I'm looking for this quote. Yeah. So this is Samantha Frederick, a cocktail waitress. She's been there for 10 years. Quote, I woke up in the morning to 108 text messages and three emails saying we were closed. It brought tears to my eyes. After a couple of minutes, I was in shock. I, well, now that Nancy's gone, I don't have to worry about waking up to a text message. <laughs> I can't come in. I can't imagine waking up to 108 text messages. That would be bonkers. Yeah. I mean, they could have all been from the same person. She doesn't specify. <laughs> That's true. Saying that we're, we're closed. Did you see that we're closed? Can you believe we're closed? And uh, 106 other permutations of that, or whatever, 105. Um, but, but uh, oh, yeah, I mean. shit. Sorry to cut uh, in. That's a union shop. That's why they didn't tell anybody. Because the union would have just destroyed them financially for getting ready to close. Like the, the like, um. Uh, they would have had to do severance pay for some enormous amount of time for everybody. And now those two owners can drag it out in like in court instead. So I'm, I'm reading here. Sorry. After the signature room closed permanently last week without giving its workers notice, Unite Here Local 1, the union representing the 132 former restaurant workers, filed a lawsuit Monday asking for back pay, health insurance coverage, and other benefits. Here's what the owners are going to do. They're going to claim bankruptcy and they're never going to pay any of that. That's the move. Wow. So I'm sorry. I cut you off. Well, no, that's okay. I mean, they're, but they're still in violation of the Warren Act, then, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't, and there might be fines or something associated with that. Uh, and in, yeah, I don't. I, it makes you. I'm just something like that. Something so well established. Something that is a tourist destination. It seems that they they weren't making their money on um, uh, business people coming for their lunch hour, right? Yeah. Um, they were making it from other places. So yes, the, if I don't know if the tourism industry in Chicago is, has, I don't know where the rebound is there. Um, I know the pizza festival probably didn't bring people back. No. Well, but, as long as NASCAR isn't shutting all of downtown down, uh, yeah. you know, I don't know. Every time I have been downtown in the last calendar year, it has not felt like it has been, it has not been empty. Right, I don't know necessarily touristy, but it has not been empty, and traffic through downtown sure sucks. So there's definitely humans down there. Yeah. Wow. Because my feeling when I read it, and uh, I didn't, you know, this is coming from almost a complete um, ignorance, um, er, uh, you know, place of ignorance. Because I, I didn't, I knew that the union was. Um, a part of that, but I wouldn't have put anything like that together. But for me, just in terms of trying to fathom why something, a place like this would have stayed open for as long as it did. And and because if you're going to do that, you just don't reopen it. I would have thought, um, again, complete ignorance. But for me, it just, again, speaking from ignorance, it's felt like a tax thing. 
somehow. So probably. Also, it would be interesting to know if these guys got PPP funds and where that money went. Is this one of those those uh, uh, owner situations where instead of using that for payroll like the PPP was supposed to be used for, did they buy a yacht? Did they buy a, a private yeah. jet, right? Is that, was the money mismanaged? I mean, okay, so you and I own a restaurant at the top of the Hancock that has 135 union employees. We are stressing out the fact that by October, we're going to have to close. We are just, we just don't have any money. We cannot make rent, whatever. We know in July that if we say to the union, look, we're going to have to close. The union is going to say, whatever your closing date is, you owe all of these employees a year of severance. Because this union, remember, I used to work for Local One. And while labor unions are very important to the history of this country and they're doing great work these days, Local One, everybody I met in that union was an absolute sack of garbage. Greedy, nasty, just like awful people. Maybe that was just my experience. But they also got shit done. So they would come back with, you owe all of your employees just some stupid, like a million dollars each. Something stupid like that. They're not as, we're not as owners going to be able to get out of that once we've told the union that. The union's going to write that shit down. If we don't immediately agree to whatever they want, they're going to stage walkouts. They're going to shut the place down before we're ready to shut it down. So we don't tell them. We know we're violating contracts. We know we're pissing the union off. We know, legally, we can declare bankruptcy, throw our hands up in the air, and say, sorry, we can't help you. And the bankruptcy laws will protect us. And so it's gross. It's inhumane and it's shameful, but I'm certain that's what they did. No question in my mind. I wonder if there's any contingency uh, in the WARN laws that say that, you know, if this is a sudden thing or if this is like, uh, because obviously if your auto plant get hit, gets hit by a tornado yeah. and, you know, you were uninsured for whatever reason, <laughs> you can't rebuild, you, you know, those people are going to be out jobs and there's nothing you can do about yeah. it. So I don't know if there's like some, some contingency where they're like, and then maybe that's why they're pinning it on the pandemic. Yeah. Um, you know, even this far uh through or out or whatever um that because then that's their out in terms of the warn act they're like look we tried we thought we were going to be able to keep going and it just became it suddenly very suddenly became untenable this wasn't something that we could foresee i mean we're not out of the pandemic i just got a booster for covid yesterday right i'm clearly still having this in the top of my mind however business wise we're kind of out of the pandemic right nobody's wearing masks anymore everybody's open Movie theaters, theater theaters, restaurants, everything is open. So if the pandemic were to blame, I feel like this closure would have happened in like 2021. Now it's almost too far away. That's what that's what I felt, too. But but and maybe they were hedging their bets because and like I said, I don't know what the tourism industry in in town is is doing right now. If, if they're not getting the business at the top of the um, Hancock that they used to, like, I don't know what any of those numbers look yeah. like, where they could be like, look, we thought we were going to rebound and we didn't. And, and we ran out of cash. Yeah. We, you know, we just, we, or, you know, there was an accounting error and we <laughs> ran out of cash. But the PPP question is an excellent question. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if they use that the way it should have been used, they wouldn't have that stashed away somewhere either. Right. right. It would have been gone. It would have gone to the workers. So... Um, yeah, I just saw that and I was just like, oh, we were just talking about sudden closures and, and that sort of thing. And this is the highest profile one outside of, uh, um, um, 
Crow and Crow or, or whatever the one was down there in uh, Asheville. Um, the Signature Room received $2 million in PPP loans in 2020, $2 million worth of PPP loans in 2021, and both were forgiven. So they did not have to pay back any of that money. Four million or three? Four total. Four total. You, I mean, that to me sounds like enough to keep going <laughs> for a little while. I don't know what it costs to run that. A hundred and some odd workers is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's any more information about that, uh, those loans. When were they forgiven? Because if it was like a week ago... <laughs> then they're taking the money and running. I do not see in this article where it says what happened with that. Wow. But if there were, I mean, if there were any shenanigans, just because they were forgiven doesn't mean they can't be prosecuted for shenanigans later. Uh, so if there were any shenanigans there, they can still be found out and held accountable for that. Um, but but the in theory, it's like you, well, you file all this paperwork to prove that you use the money appropriately, yeah. and then they're forgiven. Um, so in an update here from uh, NBC Chicago, uh, Unite Here Local One Monday, so this would have been last Monday because this happened the 28th of September, uh, filed a federal lawsuit against the owners alleging they violated the Warren Act by failing to give proper notice of the establishment's closure. The union has to know they did that on purpose to avoid negotiating compensation with the union itself. Uh, so it's a 60-day notice of closing or mass layoff. Karen Kent, who is the local one president currently, says that they will pursue every avenue to ensure signature room workers see justice served. I don't know if it's justice. They just want money, but everybody just wants money, so I'm not going to criticize them for that. Yeah, and also, I mean, I don't know uh, how, how many were paycheck to paycheck, but <laughs> it's rather sudden to be finding new work. And I don't know if you want to go from signature room to your shop Although stability wise, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it, I guess it depends on where, you know, what, what your, uh, um, your salary was, but also wouldn't they be probably moving to a union job somewhere else? Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of times what happens. So I'm also seeing here Crane's Chicago business, which is a magazine here in town reported that in March, the real estate firm Cushman and Wakefield had been re retained to sell the property. The signature room is in. So the owners knew back since March that they were in trouble and they were looking to sell. And in March, they also... The owners uh, extended the lease on the property through 2031. That's weird. Yeah, I don't understand any of that, how that, how that all goes together. But, uh, wow. That's, that's a, a wild sort of collision of information. That in March, somebody was retained to try to sell that property. Yeah. Well, and so it sounds like they didn't own it then. Yeah. If if whatever owners extended would be like, hey, you can have the lease till 2031, yeah. um, which isn't, <laughs> isn't that far away. No. Eight years? No. But it would be interesting to see if what they're trying to do, this also happens. So this would be interesting to see. If you have a union in your shop and you don't want that union in your shop anymore, the most painful, but probably the simplest way to get them out 
is to close, reconcept, and then open again. And open it as a non-union shop. Because then the new employees would have to attempt to unionize. But if you have closed and the business no longer exists, then the contract with the union is also null and void. And so if they... That's a long way to go, though, just to get a union out. And I don't want to cast that on them or on the union. Because, again, the union... As much as I did not like working for that particular union, the, the notion of that union is there to protect the employees from exactly stuff like this. Wouldn't uh, How did it work? I know that you were in a hotel, yeah. but uh, would, would the entire Hancock Center be a union shop? That I don't were know. They like, if you're, if you're here, then you, 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 know, you can't hire anyone non-union. Could they open a non-union shop in the Hancock? I don't know. I do not know. That it, it would depend. I mean, a lot of places, it's like... If you have folks who do uh, event, but like not event staffing, but like event uh, maintenance, right? So like setting up tables and projectors and shit like that. A lot of times they will be union for a hotel, but the rest of the hotel is not, you know, or like an event space like McCormick. I'm sure their employees who set up like the big, like the auto show and whatever, those people are union. But I don't know about like the folks who are vendors at the like pretzel place or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I think it. Right. I think it's job specific. I don't know that it's necessarily building specific. Yeah. And the, the they. I mean, that was an independent restaurant. It wasn't connected to a hotel or anything. Right. It's just there, in that space. And again, I don't. I don't want to speculate, but that is one way to get rid of a union is to, uh, you know, burn it all down, <laughs> salt the ground, <laughs> build something else on top of it. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting. We'll have to keep our eyes open to see. Because I would imagine that that would sell as a restaurant. Yeah. Unless, unless it's going to be converted to like a penthouse or something. Yeah. Um, which which is another possibility. But uh, I've never been to the signature room, and now I never will. So I don't. I yeah. can't really speak to that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe restaurants in buildings like that. Maybe that's not. Maybe they're no longer. Uh, profitable yeah. so maybe that's yeah. not maybe it would be converted into something else well and the other uh, thing is like i do want to sympathize a little bit we have a real estate crisis in this country right now where everything is really fucking expensive right so I, my joke used to be that when i bought the terrible house that we lived in before people were like why do you rent why bother renting a mortgage is the same as rent and i'm like who the fuck pays 1800 dollars a month to live in an apartment right Thing is, now people do, and it's not unusual for rent to be like two thousand dollars, and that's an that's a shitty apartment in like Logan Square, right? I can't imagine what the rent on the signature room was, because when yeah. landlords as a species start to bounce off each other, it's not exactly price fixing, but if one segment of the real estate market increases their prices, the other ones will follow, right? So I don't know, I don't know what that kind of a rent on that space would be. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine either. But yeah, there's a lot, and I also don't pretend to be an expert in bankruptcy law. But there's a lot of things that say the union goes after them for a bajillion dollars to compensate all of these employees who are now suddenly out of work. There's a lot of things that bankruptcy law will just say you can't ask them for this. They don't have any money, right? Now these two are also part of a restaurant group or at least some sort of a management group. So maybe the union could go after the group. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, it depends on how it's organized. Yeah. That was the the only thing that my former boss at the dumb bagel shop uh, was good at yeah. was conniving and and well, I mean <laughs> that that's prescribing motive that I don't know is there, but 
um, through through past experience, probably he set up all of those um, different uh, iterations of the bagel place as it was a chain LLC, ah. as I believe what it's called, so that each one, although they were connected, were also separate in terms of financial sure. um, whatever liability. So, yeah. yeah yeah, so you could sue the one, but if it was if there was no money there, then they could not go after any of the others. Yeah, yeah that's so where I don't I don't know. Like it's very easy to accidentally put your own name on the wrong line on a contract thing, and all of a sudden, if you get somebody sick at your restaurant, they can go after your personal assets, and you do not want that. Yeah, yeah, that's where owner ownership uh, is like. Eh, maybe maybe it's better just to work here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't pretend to understand the ins and outs of all of that. I just do know that it's best to have a business name and the business is liable for shit. And then you can have your own name where you're not, you know? Yeah. I guess that, that maybe that's where LLC versus corporation comes yeah. in, like limited liability right. company. Right. Isn't that what the LL is about? I believe so. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll keep an eye on this uh, signature room thing, but I bet you, let me see. What's my prediction here. There will continue to be a restaurant there. It will likely be that those two fellas will be involved with it as long as the union is not able to completely squeeze them to death in the next two months. They get through the rest of this calendar year, claim bankruptcy, claim hardship, claim they don't have any money. The union will find that there's no blood to squeeze from that stone and then a new restaurant will pop up at the signature room, which will you know, coincidentally have both of these guys' names on it. That'll be like the yeah. Your Name Here Chamber or whatever. So, I don't know. I mean, I wonder, uh, I mean, this this isn't a real thought, um, but was the Signature Room named that because it was the John Hancock Center and John Hancock's signature was the biggest on the I think Declaration so. of Independence? I think so, yeah. So, it's no longer the John Hancock Center. right. Um, so maybe they're just like, well, the name no longer fits. We need to sh- <laughs> close up shop. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the other thing about, and I keep coming back to this, the other thing about restaurants is that, God damn it, the worst people in the world work in restaurants. And so trying to ascribe any sort of motive, like there's no way I'm thinking of the worst thing that they could be doing right now. And that's probably <laughs> what they're doing. They probably, there was probably like a child sex trafficking ring being run out of there and they're trying to cover it up or there were they were serving human meat i don't know it's probably something fucking terrible we are not saying that either of those things (laughs) are what was going on they're vampires it's probably vampires vampires yes definitely they're like oh no people are gonna find all the exsanguinated bodies in the coolers we need to we need to end this now who knows? Uh, again, we're not accusing Holman and Finch of any of that either. Although some weird shit happens in South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, that whole area, right? Like the Appalachian, the the cryptids that live down there are all super weird. So I don't know. Yep. Maybe they're all Bigfoots. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, no, we can't get Crocs big enough to work in the kitchen anymore. Or Jersey Devils or Wendigos. Like, you never know. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> uh, that does, you know, see, this is your next book, Ben aliens come to earth and it's the restaurant industry they go into to keep their cover because weirdos well so you say next book as though i've written a first one but um did you ever see this show called resident alien alan tudyk no i heard of it but i had not seen it i love the concept i've not seen it either it's on one of these streaming platforms that i don't subscribe to but uh alien crashes on earth kills a doctor 
assumes his form because he's a shapeshifter and like is this town's this little town's physician right that always felt to me like that's ah, almost a step too far because you're gonna notice if you have a doctor you go to you have a gp you're gonna notice if all of a sudden that person's a space alien <laughs> you know even if they're as good an actor as alan tudyk is and so space alien crashes to earth or several and they become cooks who the fuck would ever know we're the weirdest people in the world <laughs> How would you ever know? Right now, I'm thinking, I could think of at least a dozen people right now that I'm like, oh, that guy was probably a space alien. Yeah. yeah. I mean, thinking back to Men in Black, when D'Onofrio, the cockroach yeah. takes over D'Onofrio and is amazing. I mean, he should have won an Oscar for that. Oh, the performance um, is stunning. But I mean, put him in a chef outfit and give him a knife and yeah. I'm not asking any questions. Dude, at one point, he kills a guy in a pierogi restaurant and takes his apron and is walking down the street and nobody's looking at him sideways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a reason. Yep. Yeah. Uh, pierogi guys are the worst, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Again, we'll find out eventually, but it'll be a non-story because they'll likely hide behind bankruptcy protection these poor folks are all out of a job with no notification whatsoever they're gonna have to find something else although luckily everybody is hiring right now and uh you know in six months there will be a new restaurant at the top of the hancock and this it won't be a story so that's kind of a bummer that that's gonna continue to happen it'd be interesting yeah. to know what these guys assets are right now just just for just for fun but i don't know yeah i don't feel like looking into it too much no amen I, I cannot sympathize with somebody who closes their restaurant, which is a union shop, with no notification whatsoever for 130-some employees. I have six employees. Anytime anything goes wrong, I fucking tell everybody. <laughs> you know? And, like, if we were to be closed for a day... So, let's say we didn't get the contract for next year, which is dumb. We've got an evergreen contract, and I think right now... We actually have a legit contract that we've got five more years on. But let's say we get to April of next year and the school's like, fuck you, we don't want you to come back in August. I would tell everybody that day. And it would be tough for me to want to go in. Yeah. For the rest of that contract year. Uh, here's another question. So that it, it, they, how many employees did they have? Like 130 something. How many of those would have been uh, back of house, would have been kitchen? Oh, without knowing the scope of the restaurant, I don't know. But let's say 30 at most. So that the lady that got a text, 108 texts, yeah. was all of front of house and like five back of house <laughs> yeah, that texted yeah, her. Yeah. Or it was all of back of house and everyone in front of house except for the ones that uh, – didn't like her or vice versa right, right, right i was just wondering how wondering how that played out if she got 108 texts and uh there are 130 employees that's almost everybody yeah. speaking of close-knit shops right well the other thing is that like a lot of places i mean i i believe that she she said text but a lot of places use this thing called slack now to do like sort of a rolling yeah. employee communication platform which i've never used but i hear it's fucking awful where you you go to sleep and you wake up and there's so many slack messages you cannot get back to the top to find out what the original thing was about so that's if it was a slack thing that'd be amazing yeah again oh man don't know if that ever makes it way into restaurants yeah i mean i don't do it we have although i need to take nancy out of that group chat but i i do have a uh group on my phone that's just my staff where we just you know bullshit about stuff and whatever and one of my staff members is making like fancy cakes today for her sister-in-law's 
uh, baby shower, and so we're getting pictures of that, which are delightful, you know. But I need to take Nancy out of that. Yeah, before it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, done with signature room? Yep, yep. It's done with us. Right, right. What else do you have for today? Oh, that was it. You said you had a couple articles. I didn't know if that was one of them. That was one of them. The other one, Steve, we talked about this a little bit, but it actually happened. Chicago, this is from Eater Chicago. This is yesterday. Chicago City Council votes to end the tipped minimum wage. Mayor Brandon Johnson keeps a campaign promise to one fair wage, which now eyes New York and Boston. How do we feel about this, Steve? Uh, we're for it in the the idea of it, yeah. So, uh, on Friday, October 6th, the Chicago City Council voted 36 to 10 in favor of the ordinance, which will phase out the city's tipped minimum wage, sub-minimum wages that are augmented by tips, over five years. Those three words are the things that the people who are opposed to this are leaving out of this quote. So, what I'm hearing... Because I went into the Chicago hospitality, whatever, restaurant, Facebook group. Because I figured people were talking about this. And the people without question across the board, the people who are super angry about this are saying, every restaurant in the city is going to close tomorrow. They're saying all the servers are going to lose all their money in the world. And then they're being forced to admit that the city is going to gain more payroll taxes from this. And they're going to mismanage it. Meaning... That they're really complaining because they're the servers who don't claim all their tips for tax purposes. These are the same people who, when it came time to get unemployment, when restaurants closed down, were furious that their unemployment checks were wee-wee little things because they never claimed their tips on their tax forms and they were getting a proportion of what they were claiming, which was not very much. And it's like, well, you fucked yourself because... I'm no tax lawyer and I don't care really, but not claiming all of your tips is tax fraud. And that's, you know, you fuck around, you find out. Yeah. So currently in the city, the tipped minimum wage is 948 and it will go up by 8% every year for the next five years until it's 1580, which is the standard minimum wage. This also indicates that the city council has no intention of increasing the tipped or the minimum wage in the city above 1580 over the next five years. Right. And if they do, then they'll have to revisit yeah. the, the well, unless it's just like the, after the end of five years, that's got to be minimum wage. It's not set at yeah. 1580 or whatever. It's just that that's. So I would love to hear from some of our listeners about how we feel about this, because, again, as a guy who does not operate a restaurant right now, it's very easy for me to say fucking raise your prices on your menu 20% across the board or figure out how to balance that out, right? Because responsible, respectful adult human beings who go out to eat in this country should be aware what you're looking at on the menu for prices is 20% less than what you're going to end up paying. Plus tax in Chicago, which I think is like (laughs) 9,000%. So you cannot go to a place that's got a $15 burger with $15 in your pocket and feel like you are doing the right thing. That you cannot do that. So if a restaurant just said to everybody in the world, guess what, bitches? Everything is 20% more. You can still tip if you want to, but you don't have to. I am going to tell you right now, half of the people are not going to notice and they're going to tip anyway. And I think that'll stay the same. 
So your servers will be making minimum wage. Fine. It's nearly twice as much as what they were making before. And they'll still get tips. Not as many as they did before. Not the volume and the, the amount that they got before. But they will still be taking tips in. Everybody wins. Is it going to be painful to raise the prices on your menu? Are people going to complain? Yes to both of those things. Fuck them. Okay, here's here's a thought. Go well, a couple thoughts. First of all, as we mentioned before, if you can't afford it, you need to switch your service. Uh, yeah, yeah. To a different kind of service. Here's the other thing: if the tip minimum wage goes away, the um, establishment doesn't have to give wait staff that money. The uh, the tip money. Right. right. Right? So if people are leaving tips, that won't necessarily go to waitstaff because the restaurant could be like, we're taking it. Ideally, it still should, but it doesn't have to. You're right. If, if, I'm, if I'm correct about how that law works. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so anyone, yeah, feel free to write in and correct me on that. But my, my thought was that if, the, if they're not claiming the tipped wage credit, yeah. then the restaurant doesn't actually have to give you the tip. Right. Um, so... In this article, California, Alaska, Minnesota, Montana, Nevada, and Oregon have already adopted similar measures to what the city of Chicago is doing. There's no oh, detail. Statewide? Right. There's no detail in this article about what those similar measures are. Uh, but it says Washington, D.C. did as well. Predicting the impact is challenging. In L.A., for example, operators, and this is what you were talking about, Steve, operators are seeing a renaissance of quick service restaurants and higher quality fast food options. So this is what we've talked about in previous episodes, which is if you are a restaurant owner and you have relied on customers to pay your staff directly as opposed to paying you and you paying your staff first off i find that personally disgusting and it's something that i've only come into in the last couple of years because i didn't question it because i was raised in the restaurant industry didn't question the fact that servers make like three dollars an hour and were required to accept the largesse of the customers to to make up that difference right right which like you've said in the past means that the servers work for the customers they don't work for the restaurant so I find that to be gross. So if you're an operator of a restaurant and you are not paying the wait staff, the customers are paying the wait staff directly, and you find that this move is going to force you to either raise your prices to the point where people won't show up or you have to close, Steve's suggestion is fantastic. Maybe your service model does not work for your location, your menu, your restaurant, your customer base, whatever it might be, and counter service is the way to go if you can't afford to pay those staff members either your business is set up wrong or well i would say and or you need to cut that staff now am i saying people should be losing their jobs over this no but that's just gonna happen there are restaurants that will yeah. fire all their servers because of this that is simply going to happen that might not be a bad thing yeah it just well, might not and i think one of the things that is on the on the pro side of this um, that I don't know if we've talked about is it prevents restaurants from overstaffing their dining room and cutting eight people at the beginning of a shift oh, yeah. because they're not going to have the people they thought they did. And then those people who took, you know, the time to drive there or to get to work, spent money in the subway or whatever, um, are now out that time and whatever money it took to get there. That's, that's, um, you know, that's, that's terrible. Yeah. 
that's that's a terrible way a terrible thing to do to somebody um but that's another thing that the restaurant industry is just sort of used to is yeah we're going to bring in 50 people and we're going to cut half of them early or we're going to cut half of them before the shift even begins because we were wrong sorry we were wrong we're not going to get the number of people in here that we thought so that'll be different if bringing them in means you have to pay them more than you know a pittance or maybe you can still bring them all in and cut them before the shift starts i don't know well so there's that the other thing that i've been hearing from servers again just in the chicago hospitality facebook group whatever is now they're going to make you do more work now if this if the employer has to pay you minimum wage you will be doing prep work you'll be cleaning you'll be doing all these other things that also might happen I, that's going to be case to case. In some cases, the owners will be taking advantage of the servers. And they'll be like, look, in the kitchen, there's this phrase. If you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean, which is bullshit and dumb. Like, I feel like if the restaurant is set and your prep is done and service hasn't really started yet or you're not busy yet and there's legitimately nothing to do, if the cooks are just kind of fucking around, who cares? But there's a kind of boss that's so uh, insecure that if the cooks are not like producing all the time, then they feel like they're wasting their money, which is dumb because if the cooks have already done what they're going to do and there's some time to kill before service, fucking let them. That's fine. Being chill at work is is an okay yeah. thing. With servers, because they've never been paying them that much, servers can just kind of fuck around if they want to, right? But that will likely stop because if all of a sudden you went from being a $6 employee to being a $15 employee, the front of the house management is going to want to get value out of you. So yeah, our server's probably going to have to do more work when there are not necessarily customers in the building. Yeah, and that's fine. Because as an old school cook, they've been fucking around for too long. And I will take that one. I will take that one as my own prejudice, and I'm okay with it. Servers have been fucking around for too much money for too long. Right? So, yeah. Maybe they can maybe they can stand to do some things that barbacks and busters have been doing. Some refilling of the ice bins. Some sweeping. Some cleaning of the bathrooms. Shit like that. Right? Fine. Now, we talked about this in the last episode... If the restaurant owner is going, okay, now you need to go back and help prep. I, as a kitchen employee, do not want that. Yeah, and I was going to ask. As a server, you should say, no, thank you. And start looking for another job. Well, I mean, if you have to, do, you need to be uh, serve safe qualified if you're going to do that yeah. prep work, yeah. right? So, but I imagine um, after what you said that maybe the jobs that are going to get lost instead of server jobs, maybe they are going to be busser jobs and barback jobs because you're going to the server is going to be the one doing that. Yeah. Um, that work instead, and I'm with you. If it if it prevents the server from sitting down next to me in my booth um, and becoming my best friend, then I'm okay with that. Yeah. I I. I, uh, I've never been one that's enjoyed that. <laughs> but you're absolutely right what you said earlier about restaurants bringing on 20 servers at $9 an hour for a, 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 an evening that they don't know if they're going to be terribly busy and then cutting half of them. You see in that moment the value the restaurant places on the servers and it's in the pay and it's in the regard for their time, right? And that value is not much. Restaurants will have to schedule train and hire with a lot more intention you're going to find after the dust settles on this service is better because the people who are going to continue to do that job are the ones who want to do it who are good at it and who the restaurant values and supports right because if you have a fleet of essentially disposable interchangeable staff members the restaurant is not 
Like, why are you going to yell at somebody for doing something a little bit wrong when you don't value them enough to pay them at least minimum wage, right? And you know at any given moment you can just cut them and send them home and you've got a whole bunch of nameless... They're like stormtroopers, right? They're like these nameless, faceless automatons that you can just throw a whole bunch of them at a problem because they're cheap, they're expendable, there's this rotating, uh, revolving door of servers coming in all the time and leaving. And like I said, at Restaurant B, I stopped learning server names because they would hire in and quit so fast, right? Yeah, restaurants will have to value their servers more. And I feel like restaurant operators are pushing back against that, but they don't want to say it. They don't want to say, fuck, I'm going to have to learn these people's names now. I'm going to have to pay attention to like, actually, this server's really good at doing this thing. Like they're going to have to treat them like cooks. I've worked with pantry cooks who would never be good on the line, but man, can they crank out a lot of prep, right? So you don't want to move them to that. Restaurant operators are going to have to learn what their servers are good at and they're going to have to finally admit that they're that serving is a skill serving is a thing that you can you can teach people how to do you can train them you can hold them accountable for it there are good servers out there but there are just so many okay servers you can just throw them at the problem and that's going to have to stop and i feel like service will get better after the dust settles on all of this you'll have people who want to it this takes serving away from that weekend high school job and makes it a career and i yeah. think restaurant operators are afraid of that too because people who are doing a career command a higher price right um and and uh if we as the eating public yeah. would get used to it then it would ease the transition yeah. for restaurant owners as well because then we would pay the people as if it's a career you know instead of uh it's a high schooler that i'm i, I out of the kindness of my heart, I'm leaving this money yeah. instead of being like, no, no, you're paying them for a job. So it's like, yeah, you're paying that much for the burger because you're paying someone yeah. um, to bring it to you and all this, and you can't get out of it. <laughs> right. So it still feels like any service job, like I, I, I always go back to Jiffy Lube. I go to an oil change place. Yes, I'm aware there's a product and there's a service. They charge me some money. They do the work. I go away. Why restaurants, and we know why, it's because of slavery, and it's because of unemployed, newly freed black slaves coming to the North, needing a job, and even people in the North were like, eh, I don't know, you're kind of slavey, wanting to not pay them, but they're like, no, no, no you can work for me, but the people, the, the really nice white people over here, they'll pay you instead of me. We all know that's where this tipping thing came from. But the fact that restaurants have turned this into this pride thing, but at the same time turned it into a victimhood thing. Oh, I can't possibly pay my staff because then prices will go up and that will affect you. It is the same amount of money. It's either on the menu or it's on the bill underneath the menu price. It's the same yeah. money. So if you sell it to the customers as, y'all don't have to tip. It's fucking built right in. Again, responsible adults who exist in a society and understand what society means, which is people bumping off each other, will understand that and go, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to pay. This is great. It's like I'm getting my oil changed. Yeah. Do I tip the lady at the counter at Jiffy Lube? Fuck no, I don't. The Jiffy yeah. Lube I go to, Rose, who runs that place, is great. Am I going to give her a tip? No. <laughs> I'm just not going to be a piece of shit when I'm there. And I'm going to pay what they ask and I'm out, you know? Yeah. Yep. It tells you something about the level of customer service at the Jiffy Lube that I go to that I know the name of the person who runs the job. <laughs> like, it doesn't take much of me. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I had one more thing to say. Oh, Steve, I learned a thing. Because I read this and I was like, wait a minute. I've been meaning to learn a thing. 
If you deliver for Amazon Fresh, you make in the city of Chicago between $16 and $25 an hour. I don't know what that depends on, but I do not tip those people anymore. Because that is where the tipping culture has gotten away from itself. It has taken, it's gone too far, right? So like, if I get a cup of drip coffee and I'm buying a pound of coffee at a coffee shop and the person behind the counter has done nothing but pour a cup of coffee out of a thing that's gravity doing that work and turned an iPad to face me, I'm not tipping that person either. That person is making far beyond minimum wage, or they should be, but at least minimum wage because... Being a barista is not part of the tipped wage credit. Correct. And I don't need to tip somebody for the fact that I'm carrying these beans and I'm going to take them home. And you get stank eye from these people. And if you took a job, I'm not that person who's like, oh, if you don't like serving, take another job. Because that's a whole different conversation. But if you're working at one of these snooty ass coffee shops and you're making anywhere between $15.80 and $25 an hour, I don't need to tip you for allowing gravity to drop coffee into a cup for me. And I certainly don't need to tip you because I grabbed a bag of coffee from over there and brought it over here and I'm paying for it. So I learned that even though Amazon Fresh automatically adds a $5 tip for delivery, you can just take that shit right off because there's no reason for it. And so I've, I've stopped doing that as well. I wish there was a way to automatically get rid of it, but you have to get rid of it every time. Um, it's one of those things, too, just in terms of tip culture. Has anyone been on the side of the DoorDash driver that has spit in the food as they're leaving it on the doorstep <laughs> or has taken it away because they didn't get a tip, so they, they take their ball and go home? Um, I don't I don't think anyone's been on their side. So I now belong to a Facebook group called Overheard in Traverse City because I do not want to ever move back to Traverse City, Michigan. Not that I don't like it up there. I vacation there just fine. But a large number of people who live in Traverse City, Michigan are fucking garbage people. They are <laughs> awful. It's rural, conservative, northern Michigan, and everything you think would be associated with that from the uh, dangly truck nuts all the way up through, like, violence against the political left, right? Like, that whole spectrum. That's all up there. Invariably, on Overheard in Traverse City will be someone who works for Shipped, DoorDash. Uh, what's the grocery delivery thing that you use? Or have used? The Where they pick out your groceries for you and then they deliver them to you? Um, it, it, it wasn't that, that wasn't Shipped? Maybe it was, I don't know. So there uh, are people yeah. on there who will just go onto Facebook. Nobody's asked any questions. And somebody will just go on there and be like, I work for Shipped and I want all of you pieces of shit to know that if I'm picking out groceries for you and you don't tip, I'm not taking your order and somebody else is going to have to take it. And sometimes nobody takes them and then you don't get your food. And I'm reading this and I'm like, why are you so angry about your job? Why did you take a job that's so dependent on tips and clearly isn't working that you hate it? And the fact that every motherfucker in the world is hiring right now and this is the best job you can find this feels like a personal issue for you but then the responses are also insane (laughs) i read these (laughs) things and i always want to lean in but i'm like not only do i not work for that company i don't get grocery delivery ever because of exactly what people are like well why would i tip you when you only get me bruised apples and you put them in the bottom of the bag and then i also don't live in that town so like who am i i'm really just a spectator but it's wild it's absolutely wild now food in particular man i only ever we talked about this before i only have food delivered 
to my house from places where they have a dedicated fleet of drivers and it's almost always just pizza right i tip those people because selfishly i want those businesses to remain in business i want their delivery folks to be happy whatever but nah i'm not gonna give somebody who behaves like that online right spitting access to my food uh-uh no gracias yeah. also as a chef i don't let other people pick my ingredients out because that's weird but like the the animosity the anger going into that like do i want to have somebody picking out my food who i know is already angry like no no thank you i just punch the table because yeah. i'm not used to having a big ass table here <laughs> well and that's why we do the uh the the walmart pickup because if they're angry they're angry at walmart they're not angry at me <laughs> who isn't angry at walmart the, yeah so they're not going to take it out on me they're going to take it out on walmart um but uh, yeah, I mean, and it, it's the it's because of the independent contractor model with those places too, because those places aren't tipped wage places, right? Like DoorDash can't claim tipped wage, but they can say, "Well, we're paying it's per delivery con- because it's work. independent contractor." Yeah, Ten ninety nine. So they might need that tip to make that a living wage, but that's because they're not getting the volume of deliveries that they would need to to earn the uh, correct wage per hour right plus you know minus whatever you're spending on gas it's it's just a terrible system um and uh and i didn't create it but i also yeah i don't utilize those things either because i um i'm i again i tip pizza delivery people no problem there yeah um i don't really have anything else to i don't tip the ups or the mail carrier you know, those are people I don't tip. Right. That's their right. job. They get paid fine to do that. I don't order DoorDash because I have issues with how DoorDash treats restaurants, yep. um, let alone the people that are driving for them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and, I mean, we just – we never see stories about um, Uber drivers or DoorDash drivers that have have really – well, maybe an Uber driver that went out of their way to do something. But it's, we never hear this thing about DoorDash that – and the lengths they went through to keep your fries crisp on the no no it's always they ate half your food because yeah. you didn't give them a big enough tip or they they yelled at your doorbell and there's video of them you know pissing on your roses because you didn't give them a good enough tip and it's like yeah i you know there's something wrong with these jobs if those are the people the only people that are taking them but hey at least they're keeping them out of your shop well i mean there's that and also like there is a very small contingent of people who get delivery of stuff like that because they're disabled or because they don't have access to a car or whatever and so they need it right sure within that very small contingent there are people who understand the game and only tip in cash because then they're like look doordash or shipped or whoever does not know that you received this tip and so they have to compensate you more but i'm giving you a cash tip don't fucking tell them about it right however there's no way to communicate that and so then drivers aren't taking those deliveries because they don't know there's a cash tip waiting for them right Right. There's no way to fix that because, again, DoorDash, Grubhub, um, Shipped, all of these things are extremely predatory, quote, software companies. They're doing not like there's there's no concern whatsoever for the employees. That's numbers. And we've talked ad nauseum about all that, that, that yes, everything yes. about that model. Sorry, people who rely on that for a job. I hate to be the guy to say this, but you need a real job, like a real, real job. <laughs> and that work should be done by robots. Like if there was anything that should ever be replacing human workers with robots, it's that. 
DoorDash should be, they claim to be a software company. Become a robotics company also. Take the humans out of it because everything about it is predatory on all ends from how DoorDash and those guys treat the restaurants all the way through how their, quote, employees handle the food and bring it to the homes, right? Like, it's gross all the way throughout. Yeah, yep. As much as I hate Domino's, I love the fact that they have a fleet. As much as I love Jets, I also love the fact that they have a fleet. Jets just started following me on Instagram because I took a picture of my Jets pizza I had last week. And they were like, yo, can we have this picture? And I was like, sure you can. Just make sure you credit me. And they sent me a form. Jets has a form that you sign that is like, we want this picture. We will keep your name on it. But, you know, we this is our picture now. And I was like, fuck yeah, Jets. You can have my picture, you beautiful <laughs> bastards. So, yeah. That's like if, nice. if somebody really attractive was like, can I can I please give you a hug? And you're like, hell yeah, you can give me a hug. I <laughs> You can give me two hugs if you want to. <laughs> now, uh, speaking of, um, with your newly acquired skills, were you able to uh, tell your future at all in oh, any of man. the cheeses, pizza cheeses that you... Uh... I, there's one more thing I want to say about tipping, and then we can get into tyromancy. So... The last little quote that I wanted to talk about in this article is, quote, some restaurants, restaurant owners feel the new law will stifle the opening of new restaurants and lead to staff cuts. I just wanted to say I'm okay with that. Yeah. At least in Chicago, I can't speak for the entire nation, there are too many restaurants. And I say that there are too many restaurants in as much as if we had fewer restaurants, there would be fewer shitty restaurants. Yeah. There's always going to be a proportion. Am I right? Like a 22 episode or a 21 episode season of a TV show. You have seven that are great. You have seven that are okay. And you've got seven that are terrible. What we see with Disney plus is you get an eight episode season of television and they're all amazing. Right? So if there was less, if there were fewer options, I feel like every restaurant would have to be better. Right? Yeah. So that if restaurants close, if there are fewer opening, great for everybody so that's the last thing i want to say about the tipping thing like everything the owners have been saying they're either showing their ass or they're telling me something good so i can't wait to see how the uh losing the tipped minimum wage changes chicago really that's what i, I can't yeah. wait to see that and i hope it becomes a model for other places in the country and what that quote should have said is that there will be fewer full service restaurants opening yeah. and uh, because it, it it doesn't affect non-full-service restaurants much or any. Right. Yeah. So that's all. Now, Tyromancy. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who don't know, this time last week I went to a Tyromancy class at a cheese shop in Chicago called A Beautiful Rind, which is in Logan Square, which is... Uh, their name is 100% accurate. The store is amazing. I bought some cheese from there after the class, and I was very happy with the cheese that I bought. So... Cheese shop called A Beautiful Rind. They're also a wine store. Doesn't help me out too much, but it was cool to know that stuff was there. Tyromancy. This class was led by Jennifer Billock. Tyromancy is the ancient art of telling one's future through cheese. And before you laugh, I also had that same reaction where I was like, get the fuck out of town. <laughs> cheese fortune telling. That's what interested me. There was an article in Block Club uh, Chicago a couple weeks ago. Specifically about her and also then about this class. There was a follow-up article. And I thought, okay. Wasn't cheap. 
It's $45, right? Uh, I ate like a pound of cheese, so totally worth it. And I took my lead cook because I wanted to have someone there with me who had some uh, appreciation for the occult, right? And so my wife said, you're going to go become a cheese witch? I said, fuck yeah, I am. Now here's the thing about any sort of divination. For those of you who may or may not know, I learned this myself. We're talking about the fortune tellers who throw down chicken bones. We're talking about the Tao Te Ching. We're talking about dice magic. Any of this stuff. At its heart, what this is, is you are creating a pen, patterns out of randomness that at best are showing you what's already in your head. It's giving you... It's like when you look up in the sky and you see you see a, a sheep in the clouds, right? Like, it's not a fucking sheep, it's a cloud. You're seeing what is already in your own head, right? The class itself was a lot about the history of tyromancy and how it's been ridiculed and how it's been changed and how things have have, have um, evolved in, in cheese magic over the years. What... I, d I don't know if this lady has taught a lot of classes. She's way into it. You can tell that she's a true believer, and that's great. Like, I, I, I'm not going to yuck anybody else's yum. We were all given four cheeses to look at, to look for lines, shapes, colors, uh, any sort of pattern we could discern, right? What I wish would have happened, because I didn't really know what I was looking for, aside from the fact that the cheeses were delicious. I didn't really know what I was looking for. And then when she came around and did everyone's individual reading, she saw tons of shit in there that I did not see. So it would have been helpful for me for the beginning of the class, before we started looking at our own cheeses, would be to have some sort of a, of a list of characteristics. Like, if you see this, it means this. If you see this, it means this. If you see this, it could indicate this, right? Like a dream... Uh, there are books about how to interpret your dreams, right? How to interpret your cheese. That's what I was looking for. And I didn't get that until the very end. And I didn't feel ripped off by any means. It was a wonderful experience. But I would have gotten more out of it if I sort of would have known what to look for to begin with, right? And I've been looking online. And unfortunately, there's not like a book about how to identify your future through cheese. So this gal, Jennifer, needs to write one. <laughs> so that I will know what the <laughs> hell I'm doing next time I want to tell my future with some cheese. <laughs> nice it was very fun uh one of my cheeses was blue cheese you know they will take a, a, a stainless steel needle and in uh, dip it in a solution that has the correct bacteria for that cheese right and then they'll jam it into the blue cheese and that's why you'll see lines through blue cheese right so blue cheese is a really easy one to find patterns in because of that because the bacteria radiates out from that well the piece that i had gotten the line terminated in an arrow, like a, a triangle. And it was on the back of the cheese. And I kept on looking at it, and I was like, I would have just eaten this any other day of the week. But I look at it now, and the back of this cheese has an arrow pointing down. And that feels bad. That feels like it's not a good deal. So when she came around, she was, you know, she was asking for, like, first impressions. And I was like, well, all these cheeses are delicious and whatever. I said, but this blue cheese is kind of freaking me out. It's got an arrow pointing down on the back of it, which feels like that's that's portentous somehow, right? And she looked at it and she goes, well, there's there's a strong arrow pointing down, but there's another triangle on the other side that you may not have seen. It's weaker. So you have a decision to make. You're on a path. Lines mean paths. And one decision is firm and bold and difficult, and the other one seems to be easier but it's backwards, so be aware that it's a decision that will take you backwards. And I was like, Jesus Christ. All of this in a blue <laughs> cheese, right? 
So <laughs> I'm sure some of it is crowd work. You know, like you start with generalities, you see what the person reacts to, you start to get more specific as you gauge those reactions. There's a performative aspect to it, but it was a lot of fun and it was very cool. And I do plan on learning more about it. Nice. Interesting. Yeah. The decision thing too is one of those things where like, well, yeah, we're always, we're con people are constantly making decisions. So yes, yeah. we always have yeah. a decision to make. Uh, um, so yeah, it, maybe it was uh, which road do I take home? Maybe it was do you fire Nancy? Uh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> right. I hey no, that could have been. I should talk to my lead cook about that because she was there right there. Said, oh, I could have been about Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> do you think blue? Do you think a blue cheese was Nancy cheese? <laughs> <laughs> but it was. No. I mean, is this life changing for me? No. Am I probably now going to sort of nervously look at any cheese I eat? Yeah, probably. You know. <laughs> but I do want like I want a list. I want like a compendium of when you look at a cheese texture could indicate this uh this number of holes could indicate this like i want to have that sort of a of a I, I always look for structure i always look for tell me what to do and then let me do it as opposed to just so like um the black box test doing an interview where the chef hands you a two-inch hotel pan with ingredients is like make me an appetizer an entree and a uh, uh dessert out of these things you have three hours that's my favorite test give me structures and boundaries and stuff like that the worst of those i ever had was i had a chef go you've got the whole kitchen make whatever you want and i was like i i'm not comfortable with that because what if i grab something that you like had for a special that was super expensive i don't know that kind of shit right that's setting me up to fail give me boundaries and parameters and structure so that I can tell yeah. my future with cheese, you know. Yeah. <laughs> could you eat it afterward or was that a jinx? Totally could. You know, that's, I don't believe that's part of it. Although one of the things that Jennifer talked about is that for a very short time in the 1600s, I believe, cheese was used as a way to, um, there was a very specific cheese. I forget what it is now. Used to determine guilt, right? So if you had like four people that you think may have done a crime, there was this one cheese you would give it to every person. And if anybody reacted to it, like their mouth got real dry or they had some sort of a thing happen to them, you would know that was the guilty one. Which feels weird to me that you're like the lactose intolerant guy is a criminal, you know? But yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Hey, if if she if she drowns, she's not a witch. Right, right, right. It's that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the history of it was fascinating enough and she was a really good public speaker and seemed to be really knowledgeable and i don't know if anybody else had this issue i just wanted to know what the parameters were first so that i could look at the cheese intelligently now i feel like i kind of could but i still want to i want to learn more yeah and everyone should now know that tyromancy is not uh foretelling your future through tire treads yes yeah it is cheese what is the etymology of that Tyro? it's greek it's the greek word for cheese Oh, is it? Yeah. You'd think that would have been fetamancy. <laughs> right. Maybe that's a, a particular branch of, of, of cheese <laughs> magic. <laughs> yeah. And this, I mean, this is something that I've run into before, which is like when you find these divination kind of things, they're all based on something that's either living or has been living, right? So like it is, uh, you look for patterns in a flock of birds or you look for patterns in leaves or again, like tea leaves, tea leaf reading or uh bones that you throw down things like that it's always something that's alive it's never like oh look i found this rock with a hole in it you know it's the end of the world whatever <laughs> so there is some component to it of like this is a living thing it's reacting to what's around it it has some sort of a connection to the what i would call the living force you know because of the star wars component of my life but like you never hear about cheese magic in star wars there's that yeah so i don't know how much credence i want to give it but 
Uh, again, worst case scenario, I ate like a pound of cheese and it was a delightful experience. <laughs> what were the other types of cheese? Just out of curiosity, you had blue cheese. Do you remember well, the others? So there were eight on this sheet and part of the fortune telling was you got to choose four and you put them into these places on this uh, placemat, which were past, future, no, past, present, future, and then like general and so part of it was which cheeses you chose and which ones you chose to put in what of those quadrants, right? So I picked a soft ripened cheese from South Carolina called Rocketeer. I picked a, like an ash rind one from, I want to say Belgium. And I picked, now I'm going to forget which ones I picked. I picked that blue cheese, which was really, really good, but I don't recall what it was. And then I think I picked a... I did not pick a Gouda. I picked something else. I don't really like Gouda in general. I keep trying, but I just don't like Gouda that much. <laughs> but, yeah, it was interesting to see that it's like if you put this particular type of cheese and you felt that it was drawn toward your future, what did that choice also say about where you are in your head? So that, that part was cool, too. I wonder if uh, knowing che if uh, someone who's really ignorant about cheeses, if that would uh, how that would influence. Because if I just went through and be like, well, I'm gonna put first cheese here, second <laughs> cheese, second spot, third cheese, third spot. Because um, that's how I would do it. But uh, um, yeah, good cheese is never yeah. uh, never uh, a bad thing. So, uh, fun, fun. And you found a cheese shop, which is also fun. Well, yeah, and I knew about this place. It's not close to my house. And there's no real good cheese shop close to my house anyway. But whenever we've had fancy dinners, birthday parties, holidays, stuff like that, that's where my wife goes to get cheese. She just goes there. And uh, now I know why. Place is great. Yeah. And a fun, punny name. Yeah, yeah. The... Um, the the entire experience was great, so like I I have no complaints. If anyone knows of any other food related um, uh, fortune telling activities that Ben can attempt, uh, let us know. Right, <laughs> we'll see if there's any in Chicago to send him to. I know they did tea leaf reading in Harry Potter, but they never did any cheese stuff, did they? No, that's okay. You it seems it seems more yeah, <laughs> it seems more niche. Well, give it time. I mean, I think they're still, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, it do, uh, doesn't seem quite as mainstream as uh, reading the tea leaves. There's no, I mean, that's that's just a, uh, uh, a turn of phrase even. Yeah. Um, you know, for someone who's really good at, like one could say in terms of uh, restaurant activity, you, you're you always one that could read the tea leaves yeah. Yeah. and um, get out early. Uh, but uh, read the cheese leaves doesn't... Uh, <laughs> doesn't exist yet man i don't i don't know why i didn't do this but i almost bought a cheese where i pointed in their cabinet to one that was vacuum sealed but it was clearly wrapped in uh, grape leaves and i was like what's that one and the owner guy was like we just got that one in i don't know about it and i was like have you tried it and he goes no not yet and i should have bought it because i'm that guy i'm like oh cool give me the new shit and i didn't and i don't know why but i should have picked that one up that was the choice the blue cheese was telling you about it's like right, <laughs> right down here right. There's some cheese in the grape leaf that... Mm. I've had some really good like goat cheeses that are aged in grape leaves, and I don't know why I didn't get that one. I should have. I don't... There's goat cheese? Yeah, I don't regret it too much. I could just go there right now and buy that one, I'm sure, but like... <laughs> and we have plenty of cheese in the house. That's always the case for me, though. 
always plenty of cheese in the house. Although that's one of those things that I've never even been tempted to make on my own. Like, I will let the mystery of that continue to exist. I don't want to ruin that. I feel like, to a certain degree, being surprised by a new cheese is the fun part for me. So I don't want to make my own and know, like... Like, now if I go get a really good loaf of bread, I'm like, well, yeah, but I can do that. And so, like, I don't want to be that guy about cheese. I want cheese to be its own. Like, when I go to Mars Cheese Castle, I want to go there with discovery-style excitement in me. Not like, yeah. well, I guess I'll get this stuff that I could have just made if I wasn't so lazy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> now, who who's the gladiator? Um, Russell Crowe? Beautiful. Russell Crowe. I feel like we need a chain of cheese shops all named after different Russell Crowe <laughs> movies. <laughs> right. Because it could be Gladiate Curd. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a Beautiful Rind we already have. Yep. Now I'm not going to remember any other Russell Crowe movies. Um, There's Master and Commander. Munster, Munster and, and Commander. Nice. Yeah. What else has he been in? He was in Les Miserables, but uh, not not like I mean, yeah, he was in Javert, so that but that's a that's kind of its own thing. Um, man, he was in all kinds of movies there for a minute, and now I can't remember any of them. Sorry, Russell. <sighs> yeah, the thing is, is that he's. I mean, yeah, he's a leading man, but lots of his roles have been supporting like cheeses why they can be the star but a lot of times they're just a supporting uh, addition to the dish here's a real question why have i not seen most of these russell crowe movies <laughs> do i not like russell crowe <laughs> see another cheese epiphany yeah i guess <laughs> i have for serious not seen most of these has he slipped into some weird area of Hollywood uh, in terms of the movies that are being made? Or, um, Boy, he's been making movies forever, though, too. Yeah. So, lots of fodder for cheese shop names, right? He was in L.A. Confidential? Where's, who was he in yes, L.A. Confidential? Yes, he was. He was the, he was the thug guy that beat, beat up the one, the guy after What's-Her-Name had, like, the nose job because she was getting... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He thought, he thought that the girls were being abused. Huh, interesting. Yeah, I it could be worth our time to get together a list of his filmography and make up cheese shop names to go with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, goodness. Um, yeah, that's a lot of movies. <laughs> All right. I say we end there because now I'm hungry and I want to go eat some cheese. <laughs> yes, the one, yes. The other one I bought is called, I want to say it's Sone. It's S-O-G-N. And that's a really good cheese. So if you ever get a chance to get a hold of that stuff, very, very tasty. Uh, nice. I believe there's still some left. In the world or just for In you? my fridge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it might be time for a cheese and cracker lunch. All right. So, Steve, that's all I've got for today. How about you? Yep, ditto. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have anything that you want to say about the tipped minimum wage in Chicago going away or about restaurants just closing or cheese magic, feel free to get a hold of us at intheweedswbr at gmail.com. My Instagram is Chef Ben Randall. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, and Steve runs a website for us. Intheweedswbr.com. And uh, any article we ever talk about or, or discussion we have that has like supporting documentation, Steve's gracious enough to throw that up onto the website, so you can also look for more information there if you would like. Uh, but yeah, Steve, that's uh, 
That's my whole day on a Saturday. Yep. All right. All right. Well, that and pergola. Uh, that too. Yeah. No, I have to go dig some holes in the backyard. It'll be uh, exhausting. It's Chicago. <laughs> it's clay. I get to dig three feet, three foot deep holes through clay. Yum. Can't. At least it's been wet. Yeah. Great. Yeah. It's been raining. So for <laughs> in the weeds with Ben Randall, I am Ben Randall, and I'm Stephen Cadwell. We'll talk at you next week. Bye bye. And we'll see how my son's room records. Ha <laughs> ha.